why do people want to be here and how do I control expenses and everything that kind of went into that, right? Because it really is a business at a certain level, no matter yes. what type of property it is. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of fluffy stuff with us today. Jake Clopton. How you doing, Jake? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And it's our pleasure. A little bit about Jake. He's the founder of Clopton Capital. His focus is on owning apartments and also providing debt and JV equity for real estate deals. His portfolio consists of three buildings, 38 units. And then on the financing side, he does approximately $200 million of financing a year. He is based in Chicago, Illinois, and you can go check out his website and more about his company at CloptonCapital.com. With that being said, Jake, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate it. So about 12 years ago, I started this company. We're in an intermediary for financing, pretty much all asset types, really kind of play in like the small to middle market space. So like one to 50, 60 million in finance size for competitive fixed rate loans, bridge loans, construction. And then we do a lot of joint venture equity for strategy of like value add scenarios and construction. Before I started this company, I actually used to trade interbank hedging product futures, three month LIBOR futures, Fed funds and stuff like that. And then the point in time where I really made the transition was around eight, nine-ish area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was doing then. that math. I was like, yeah, hey. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's not trade. a coincidence. Yeah, interest rates went to zero, right? And you really need volatility to make money. So I was looking for a different industry to get into. Plus, I was tired of working from 1 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. So that kind of wears on you after a while. Wow. How long did you do that? 1 a.m. to 4 p.m.? Four or five years, something like that. Somewhere in there. No, it was fun. It was a great education. I loved what I did. Sometimes I still kind of like miss it, but you got to move on. So at the time, it was a credit crisis, right? And people were having trouble finding money, especially commercial lending. And that was why I moved into the industry to help owners and operators of real estate be able to access capital that was outside of just walking to your local bank. So we do a lot of bank financing, but a lot of our capital sources are also like CMBS market or private equity, private debt funds, life insurance companies, stuff like that. Okay. I have a follow-up question on the 1 a.m. to 4 p.m. because that's not eight hours by any means. (laughs) And those are wacky hours to boot. I'm not sure those are legal hours to be honest. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not in this country, at least. So Uh, were you working in an office? I was. Are you Uh, serious? You'd go into the office at 1 a.m. and leave at 4 p.m.? Yeah, there's a lot of times why I questioned why I had an apartment, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was- This has, to, this has to be a New York thing. The guys that I was working for, they didn't want to go to the office at 1 a.m. and check and see if everybody's there. So they actually had a fingerprint scanner. <laughs> oh. It was something else, man. Wow. To me, it can only be done in New York, but you're in Chicago. Was this in Chicago or New York? Chicago. So Chicago is wow. like the, the futures trading capital of the world. It is what it is. I got a great education out of it. and. Certainly not regretful that I worked those long hours and made some good money doing it. I was able to move on to what I do now. Last question on that. Why do you miss it sometimes? 
I don't miss working from one in Fortnite. I miss trading futures. It was just fun. I really liked everything that went into it. It's almost like playing a video game, to be honest. But it's one of those things where you can't run too many races. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to run the race I'm running now really well. And if I go back to start trading also, that's another full-time job. And everything I do is going to suffer. So you either run the 50 meter or the mile. You know what I mean? You can't do both. Yep. So let's talk about your portfolio. And then let's also talk about your financing business. So which one do you want to talk about first? We could talk about the portfolio. Let's talk about your portfolio first. Then. So three buildings, 38 units. Tell us about them. Sure. So the first building I picked up um, is in Cicero, right? It's, it's a village around Chicago. I bought that in, I think, late 2013 or 2014, somewhere in there. Since I've been underwriting and, and learning about commercial real estate for so long, it was really just the next logical step to own and operate my own buildings. So I identified a 20-unit building in what I'd say is like a area that was a C, kind of moving up to a B, working class type of area around here. It was also kind of an area that people thought was kind of ghetto, but it really wasn't, right? So I went there and I walked around the neighborhood and they do lots of city works. The city had lots of money. There's ladies pushing babies around in strollers and stuff. And I was like, you know, this area is really not that bad. Very high occupancy, again, working class area. So the things that I usually look for in properties, I like it near public transportation and I want like a large school around the corner and then other demand drivers like jobs around there and everything. And just kind of checked all the boxes. So that property in particular, it's a 20 unit. I think I bought it for 820. And I think at the time it was like an eight cap, something like that, which is probably <laughs> unheard of today, right? Yep. So something interesting happened after I bought that property, right? So since I'm very well connected in the finance world, I had a great contact at Chase Bank, who's also a friend of mine. So Chase had somewhat of a moratorium on this area. But since I had a good in, I was able to convince the guy to come out, look at the property, look at the area, and potentially give me a loan for it. So he did. It turned out that he went back and opened up this whole area for lending for Chase Bank. Mm. So what kind of happened is it went from an area where credit was kind of hard to get. There was only about maybe three, four banks in Chicago that were lending in this area to all of a sudden Chase, which is one of the most competitive multifamily lenders in the country or small balance multifamily is now lending this area. And what happened is what usually happens when credit starts to ease and it gets more competitive. All of a sudden, there was more investors willing to come yeah. in and cap rate suppression and, and compression, excuse me, and all that stuff. So since we bought that property, it's done very well. It did well through the pandemic, and it, it's just a solid property. And I think it'd probably take a scud missile and it wouldn't dent because it's like that type of really. <laughs> Not that you would want to test that. Not hypothesis. that I would test. No. Yeah. So you bought it for eight twenty. What's it worth now? That is a good question. I get brokers that call me constantly about it. I think I could sell it for 1.4 today. 1.4? Yeah. Not that I want to at all. And that's the thing. That type of appreciation is not bad because it wasn't a value add. I bought it stabilized. It was in good condition. It's really just all market forces that have pushed it up to there. You sound like my mother-in-law whenever eating a delicious dinner at say a nice restaurant and we'll ask her how the dinner was. She'll say, oh, it's not bad. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, so 
that's good or I mean, no, you bought yeah. it for 820 and it's we'll take that for what it's worth but brokers are saying they can get 1.4 for it yeah i would say that's phenomenal yeah it's been a really good solid return um but that's it everything always has its challenges we've had a lot of battles over the year property taxes around here especially we have to fight those every year. So those sort of things really, I think, going forward are going to play into a lot of what it would potentially sell. But for instance, property investing in Chicago are probably going to double again, I'm guessing, over the next three, five years. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But so no, it's, it's been a great return so far. All right. So that's clearly the largest of your 38 units because it's a 20 unit. What other challenges besides the uncertainty or perhaps the inevitable property tax increase what other challenges do you have? That's actually a good segue into the numbers two and three, the other two buildings. Um, okay. So after buying that one, I moved to a different area because looking around Chicago, I, I felt like the Cicero, the values were getting out of the area where I wanted to acquire. So I went to a different area. Again, same demographics, same demand generators, near school, probably transportation, all that stuff. And we ended up finding a 10-unit building, but it needed work which I was feeling like I was ready to go into that type of deal where I could go in and fix up some issues of property. So we bought a 10 unit. It was a couple of years later, but it was tired, right? It was very owner operated. The guy did everything himself. So lots of duct tape, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. Which so, is common for a 10 unit. Right. But where there's that, there's opportunity, right? But as is just kind of the case with most deals like this, things tend to happen a lot faster than you're planning. So I was planning on doing the capital expenditures, replacing mechanicals, X, Y, Z, all this stuff over a two or three year period instead of cash flow. But we ended up buying this building. And within, I believe it was 12 months, it was one thing after another. Within 12 months, I had to replace the hot water tank, the boiler. A tenant got mad at us and called the Chicago inspector and he found $15,000 worth of violations. The city came by and dug up the Buffalo box outside and somehow we ended up with an $18,000 water bill. So it was very, very quick. <laughs> so, wow. Um, but it was able to kind of maneuver a little bit and take advantage of some local state setup programs. In Chicago and I'm sure other places, also there's incentives for doing energy efficient mechanical upgrades. So what would have cost us close to, I'm going to say $70,000 with between the hot water tank and the boiler, we were able to get all of those for about 15,000 bucks. Wow. Okay. Pretty amazing. And then what was one of the major issues with this particular property was it was just the utility cost was through the roof. It was extremely expensive to heat. And another thing we were able to do through local programs like this was get free insulation, which cut the heating bill in half. So definitely being able to take advantage of those types of programs really helped me through the process here. Third-party manager company that was helping out, a lot of it was stuff I was doing myself. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. 
Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. For a listener who is not in Chicago, but they have a property and they're like, man, does my area have this? I want to get in on that 70K to 15K difference there. Who would you recommend they speak to in their area? I think it's just going to be different everywhere. So really what I did was I saw the problem and I was just like, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be something. And what I do is if you're doing anything that has to do with utilities, mechanicals, or energy efficiencies in any way, most likely there's something in your area and some sort of incentive program for you to do that. In Chicago, there is a company, and I'm going to say this, I'm not sure exactly his exact name, but it's called Elevate Energy. So basically all these incentive programs were actually through the utilities companies and stuff like that, but they would arrange the whole thing for you. I was able to get in touch with them and they just kind of drove the whole process and it was a lifesaver. It just saved an unbelievable amount of money. And at this point, that property is extremely energy efficient. Utility bills are probably down to 15%, the level they were when I bought them. And now we've got mechanicals that should last 15, 20 years in the property. I would say definitely looking into that type of stuff is extremely helpful. Chicago, so it's probably an older property, a 50s, 60s construction? Older. Older? Older. When, yeah. was, it, when was it built? Uh, I don't know the exact date it was built, but I think they're around 89 years old, these buildings. Wow. The $15,000 in violations, the tenant got mad, the inspector came out, and they wrote a laundry list of stuff. How soon after was that inspector there from when you closed on the deal? I think that was about nine months after we closed. Anything that you could have found during the due diligence prior to closing on the property that would have subtracted? The, the violations us? we got, and I know everybody, everybody feels it, right? Because everybody's been here. The violations we got were not things that I was not aware of, but they were just not major items. Okay. Ripped carpet crack in plastering on wall, stuff like that. But it was just so much that it really added up. The guy came out and he just wrote everything up. And then Mm -hmm. once that's written up, it goes to the court and you have to provide evidence that it's been taken care of. One of the things I was actually surprised about, 
Chicago has very, very strict laws around the back porches and the stairways in the back. So several years ago, there was a collapse of a porch and fortunately a lot of people got hurt. I think a couple died and they have extremely strict guidelines around porches and stairs and everything. Interestingly enough, the back porch and stairway in this building was brand new. It was only a couple years old. The wood still looked brand new, but the inspector was able to find three or four nails from what I remember that were protruding, which I'm sure you, you know what this leads to, right? You have to get the permit. You have to get the right guys to come out and do it. And no matter what it is, if you're doing work to a porch in the back, it's just going to be expensive. So like that alone, getting basically nails put back in was four or 5,000 bucks. <laughs> All right. So that's a 10 unit. You got a 20 unit and a 10 unit. So what about the eight unit? So the eight unit is actually directly adjacent to the 10 unit that I bought. After I got the 10 unit in an area where it was actually operating pretty well after a year, it was the same owner. I put the eight unit under contract and it was the same stuff. It was the same guy, right? Same issues, all that stuff. But I had a very good game plan going in and it was smooth sailing. So the whole experience that we went through on the 10 unit deal with all the work that needed to be done and then figuring out how to do it economically, it was a very good learning experience. And because of that, the eight unit, it sailed. Everything was done quickly. We kind of knew what to get ahead of and, and what to really focus on up front and also how to access those incentive programs. Hmm. What did you buy the 10 unit for? What is it worth now? Same question for the eight unit. The 10 I purchased for 430, the eight for 370, I believe. And I believe combined, they would probably sell for something similar to the 20, somewhere mm-hmm. around 1314. How did you come across each of these three deals? Well, the 20 I actually found on LoopNet. The 10 I found through a local broker around here. I can't remember if it was off of LinkedIn or like an email blast or something like that. And it wasn't the first contact. I had to talk to her for a while and she ended up with this listing. And it was interesting. The first go around, she had the property under contract. And then it was some guy that was out of state in New York and he had a contract and then he got nervous because of the area. So he let it go. And then I stepped in and took over. And then the eight unit, same owner. So pretty easy. Yep. And my assumption is for the... 20 unit, it was on LoopNet because of the area and it was tough to get financing there at the time. Is that Yeah, correct? it was just one of these areas that people were kind of overlooking. What did you see in the area that other people were overlooking? I financed a property not too far from there and it looked like a solid building. It looked like I should at least go investigate from what I remember and it turned out to be great. You can't always tell what a property is going to be like or a neighborhood is going to be like from the pictures. I've seen some listings, the property is beautiful and great. And then you get there and it's like, oh my God, this is like a war zone, right? And then vice versa. So I think it just checked a lot of boxes for me and it was worth checking out and it, it turned out great. I mean, that said, I've looked at dozens of properties that didn't work out, but it had to put the same effort into figuring it out up front. When was the eight unit purchased? Well, that was three years ago. Three years ago. Okay. So you're not really actively buying right now, would you say? If I found a deal that I thought checked a lot of boxes for me around here, I would. 
I'm not really the type of buyer that wants to buy something out of state. I want to be able to drive to it and touch it. Um, There are some things around here that I found that were interesting, but nothing's really kind of connected like those three had since then. So I'm definitely out there, but still looking. So let's talk about joint venture equity that you were talking about before, where you tend to do that for value-add deals or new construction deals. For someone who needs equity for a project, but perhaps they have never done this type of structure before, just high level, what does a joint venture equity partnership look like? This is a good question. It's a simple question with a complex answer because the real answer is it can take many different forms. The typical type of deals that we do are a GPLP structure, right? So a general partner, limited partner structure. Whereas a general partner is the sponsor, the guy putting together the deal. It's going to be the day-to-day operations and it's his deal. The limited partners are the investors. Typically, the structure that we put together is called a 90-10, right? So the general partner would come in with 10% of the equity and the limited partners would come in with 90% of the equity. And that's at the top of the capital stack. And then below that is the debt. So that's what it's typically going to look like. And then in that scenario, your money is the 90%, correct? Right. The limited partner investment capital. Correct. Okay. All right. And what are the typical fees that you would charge in that scenario? Whenever we arrange equity, we have a 2% fee for successful placement. So the equity that we do is true joint venture equity. We don't do real estate securities or anything that looks like that. It's a real partnership. But when we close a deal, we have a 2% placement fee for the amount of equity that we're able to place. So if someone's listening to this like, oh, well, I have a 200 unit that I'm looking at and I can raise 10%. And this sounds like Jake's the answer to everything that I could possibly want. Does your deal or do you check these boxes? What are those boxes we need to make sure we're checking? I think it's important to understand where your equity is coming from and what your equity is looking for. So in a lot of scenarios where guys are picking up 200 units, and let's say it's a stabilized property and they're looking for investors in this property, it's important to understand, are you looking for equity that's coupon clipper type equity that's just going to sit there and ride it out for 10 years and it's just an investment? Or is it this type of equity, which is joint venture equity, which is looking for short-term forced appreciation type of return? And there's a big differentiator and there's a big difference between where those two types of equity are come from. So mm-hmm. the joint venture type of equity, I think the down the middle answer of what type of returns they look for is like a high teens IRR and like a 2-0 multiple. And if you were looking at returns as like a line graph on a chart, you would see it peak at a certain point as time goes on and then start to slowly go down. And joint venture equity likes to do a disposition or basically get removed from the property and recycle their capital once that IRR peak hits. So if you hold on any longer than that, the IRR of the capital tends to go down. Your coupon clipper type equity They're not so concerned with that. They're in it for the long run. So that type of equity I typically see come from individuals, private investors. I've even seen some crowdfunding, do stuff like that. I have a sponsor 
that uses a broker dealer to sell real estate securities to people's IRAs, stuff like that. So that type of long-term hold equity, I typically see through smaller equity check size type syndications with private individuals. This direction is primarily small middle market funds that have raised investor capital around a strategy of deploying alongside a sponsor. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before, but what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. From a sponsor standpoint, what boxes should the sponsor make sure they're checking before they approach a company like yours or your company to make sure they have qualifications? Sure. I think it's always helpful to think about how whoever you're approaching is going to have to get approval to give you the money. So if you're going to look at the JV equity space, JV LP equity for value add scenarios, right? So these short-term type of strategies. Primarily, all of that money, for the most part, is investor capital that's raised around a fund, again. And to do that, they need to prove to their fund through an investment thesis that this is going to work out. And if you think about it that way, you can see kind of like where I'm going to this. Somebody has to demonstrate a track record that this is something that can be repeated over and over and that they've done things similar. And then also going forward with their pro forma assumptions be able to prove that out by what's already in the marketplace. So if you were to say to me, what is a down the middle scenario for a guy that's going to go out and pitch his LP equity to some investors, I'd be like, if you bring me a guy that has a successful track record of like-sized deals, we're bringing another deal to the table. Maybe it's- but what, How do you define successful track record? Let's say he's done three multifamily value add deals in the past. 
maybe he's exited two of them. He's got another one going. The exits worked out to the assumptions he had going in, or at least very close to that. That's what I would say is at okay. least successful, successful track record. He entered and exit the same strategy and it, it worked out like he thought it would. Okay. Um, and moving forward with their pro forma, be able to improve that out by what's in the local market. So for instance, let's say this guy comes, he's got a successful tracker. He's got another deal. It looks similar. Maybe it's a little larger and it's a C-class property in a B-class market. And he's going to take that C to a B. And by doing that, that's a good income pop. And then we can see a good return in a three to five year period. That, that's definitely a deal I would pick. That's helpful. I know we were fairly high level, but you helped clarify some things and just shine some light on the typical structure. We're going to take a step back. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice would be to approach real estate investing and the piece of property as a business and your tenants as customers. Because having that type of thesis on it really kind of helped me understand exactly what I'm investing in. Why do people want to be here? And how do I control expenses? And everything that kind of went into that, right? Because it really is a business at a certain level, no matter yes. what type of property it is. And I think some people that end up with challenges in real estate approach it almost like the stock market. I'm just going to throw money at this. It's going to work out. Because <laughs> we know a lot of times it doesn't work out that way. Yep. So I think definitely approaching it as a business is extremely helpful. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's do it. All right. Best ever book you've recently read? I haven't read an enormous amount of investing books, but the ones I do really like and did read early on were the Rich Dad Poor Dad books. Those I actually really enjoyed. What's something that people who have done private equity, JV deals where they've partnered with groups like yours who are people who you bring to the table, who if they have done a deal like that, what's something that is more of a next level piece of insight based on your experience that you have maybe a watch out for those who are already familiar with it or maybe something that is new that you've seen recently specifically for jv equity i think one of the areas where people sometimes see challenges is getting your equity committed up front i don't really deal with a lot of family offices on the whole jv equity side because that velocity capital isn't really there they don't have to put money out. And I think understanding velocity capital really helps kind of that certainty of closing. You don't want to get all the way to the closing table, have hard money down, and then have some guy decide to buy a portfolio of ATM machines instead of investing in your property. And that's some of the schizophrenia that some private investors end up getting or they get nervous and stuff like that. So that's why dealing with, again, these types of funds that are raised around this strategy in particular to deploying JV equity into real estate is extremely helpful. And that velocity of capital is right there because you know, they're not going to decide just not to do it at the last minute. They've got to get money out the door. They've got to do deals. That's Understanding good. that and then really getting your equity committed upfront and writing, I think is definitely something that everybody learns at some point. It goes back to the two questions you said earlier about equity. You've got to know where's the equity coming from and what is it looking for? Exactly. What's the best ever way you like to give back to your community? The best way that I can give back to this community. Doesn't have to be this one. No, your community. Like just the best ever way you like to give back. Oh, got it. Got it. Well, I've been very active in not only Habitat Humanity, lots of food drives, soup kitchens, stuff like that. 
pretty much my entire life. We've even gone internationally for Habitat for Humanity. So anything I can do at that is always something we look forward to doing. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? If you want to learn more about what we do, the website is a great resource and or call me directly. Happy to chat anytime. Very, very candid about our programs, what we can do and how we can help you out. What's your phone number? My direct line is 312-775-0233. Jake, enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for being on the show, talking about your portfolio, talking about your company and one of the services that your company offers. I know we didn't talk about the debt financing on this interview, but enjoy talking about the things that we did and learned a lot. So appreciate you being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Likewise. Thanks so much.